Thank you for listening to the Iffy Market Podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. Uh, we're brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Johto PR, and I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And uh, today we'll be talking with Laura Patterson of Vision Edge Marketing about the customer journey. Laura is a what a repeat offender here on the podcast. She's She's been on uh, several times. If you look back at some of the earlier episodes, I think we were branded as the elephant test then. But check those out. She's got some some episodes that are great there. But she's the president of Vision Edge Marketing and is recognized as one of the pioneers and authorities in marketing performance management. Laura, uh, excellent to have you back on the show. How are we doing today? Awesome. And thank you for having me back again. I really enjoy the opportunity to talk with you and the rest of the folks, Guy. Great fit then. We always uh, we always love having you. So you've been on a couple times before, but can you give us kind of a brief about you and Vision Edge Marketing, how you got where you're at and what you guys do over there? Sure. So uh, I've, I'm not going to say how long I've been in marketing, but it's been a really long time. Uh, Vision Edge Marketing was started in 1999. In fact, we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary in just a few weeks. And I had the privilege of working in financial services, technology, and the healthcare industries uh, along with some software startup experience prior to uh, co-founding Vision Edge Marketing. So I've, I've had my chance to be in a few rodeos, as we say here in Austin, Texas. And um, almost all of it has been in, in B2B marketing. Fantastic. That's the space that, uh, that we love around here. Yeah, so- and I love all your industries. Those are my industries. That's great. Yeah, Carla, they're great industries. We love working with them in them. Uh, in today, we still support our five primary industries are very similar. They're biosciences, uh, financial services, technology, industrial manufacturing, and logistics. So we've stayed kind of true to, um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that people in our firm come from similar backgrounds. So Laura, yeah. you were in FinTech before it was probably even called FinTech. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, Sky, in fact, we're going to be talking about something. It's, it's interesting to me how, you know, old becomes new again. We see it happen in a lot of industries. But right now we've got this, you know, huge uh, push around artificial intelligence, right? But the phrase artificial intelligence, I think, was coined in the 50s. So it just goes to show you that we can be uh, get, get very immersed in something and rename it and call it something else. And it isn't necessarily new, but we're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. Fantastic. And I know a big thing in marketing and B2B marketing in general in the last couple of years has been account-based marketing. And that's, you know, a lot of people say, Hey, this has been around kind of forever. It's just things get life breathed back into them or people, uh, you know, need a new book. They need a new subject. They need to make something new hot. And suddenly, you know, the, uh, the South Coast diet or something like that is back in, in, in trend just because you, you have to cycle to keep people's interest, I guess. Yes. And, and there's no place to see that more happen more frequently than in the apparel industry, right? So I figure if we can do it in the apparel industry, we can do it in any industry. I guess everything comes back around as long as it still has some, some value to it. Absolutely. You know, I have a question because I'm still stuck back on the introduction You said something about Laura, and I wanted to find out more. You said she was a veteran of something or... Pioneer in marketing performance management. I didn't remember it. I have a cheat sheet. A pioneer in marketing performance management. Okay. All right. I like that. I want to hear more. 
we're not going to spend too much time talking about that today, although we certainly will weave the idea of measurement and performance management into the conversation. Please. But I'm very excited about today's topic, which to Sky's point, uh, customer journey, uh, which everyone is talking about for the last several years, but again, is not a new thing. Um, it was something I was introduced to conceptually oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be dating myself, but in the 70s. So and we can talk about what that looked like then and how it's different today if you want. We're going to have to give you a tag, Laura. It's going to be Laura the Millennial Patterson, just to throw people <laughs> off. Thank you. Thank you. I Thank you so much. That will make me feel a million times better. Now everybody will be very confused about who you are. So customer journey, let's dig into that this you know, this podcast always flies by so fast. We try to get a good solid 45 minutes to an hour in, but uh, we always find that there's things we just can't cover. Can you give the listeners um, a, just kind of a rough idea or, you know what, not even rough, a very well-defined idea of what the customer journey is within marketing? Yes. And I want to put in the context the fact that everyone listening to us right now, um, they are customers. They buy stuff. They, whether they uh, buy, you know, a consumer item or a, a technology item or a business item, every single person listening right now buys something. And as a result, every single one of them, in some way or another, engages in a customer journey, a buying journey. And, um, and that's really what we're talking about, is that journey that people make. And in the B2B world, the way we like to think about the difference between B2B and B2C isn't so much the product, but more about the journey. You know, when you're, when you're in the grocery store and you've gone up and down the aisles and you get inside the, the uh, checkout lane, they have all those tempting, uh, you know, sweets and snacks and even magazines as you check out, right? And they're hoping that you're going to put them in your cart. And, they, they, you know, that is a very fast part of the buying process. You didn't really have to make a whole lot of decisions or discuss trade-offs or do a lot of research before you decided to put that Snickers in your cart. But when you're in the B2B world, and the way we like to think of B2B is that they're much more complex sales. They typically um, are consultative in nature and often involve several people in the buying process and in the decision-making process. And so as a result, um, there's more complexity, as you can imagine, in that buying journey. And so that journey usually occurs in phases. Uh, and those phases are, you, you know, you're investigating uh, a solution. You, you've identified a problem or a pain point, you're investigating a solution. As you look for the various solutions out there, what might be some of the proper protocols or, or, or platforms or whatever it might be that you're trying to address, then you start beginning identifying the ones that will be most suitable to you and the providers of those uh, ideal solutions. And so you go from investigation to identification and eventually move into evaluation. You're evaluating your options and then making, uh, establishing your criteria and then going through a selection process, ultimately a decision uh, process. And then at the end of that beginning stage, the purchase process you actually purchase and in a b2b environment that purchasing can actually take some time because you start bringing other people into the conversation um, it could be for example the legal organization or the accounting organization become part of the the purchasing process and then once you're a customer then there's the rest of the life cycle as being a customer the 
the actual usage of the product, the potential of support for that product in the B2B world, uh, whether you're going to add on or uh, expand the amount, what you buy from that company, uh, and then ultimately, hopefully becoming a loyal customer, a repeat customer, and a referral customer. And all of that encompasses, the, that entire customer life cycle encompasses the customer journey. So it's not just the, I mean, buyer journey would, would imply that this is the come in, go through the process, buy the product, journey's over. Um, you say the customer journey is really that, but unless it's for some reason a, a one-way ticket, um, you're, you're looking to constantly churn them over and get repeat business and that the lifetime value shouldn't be a one-time purchase basically. And the, the journey incorporates that, all of that. Yes. And that's why we like to call it the customer journey. Um, and, and in that might be stages of which one might be the buying journey, right? Uh, right. So, yes. So we want people to think, about the customer journey in a much more holistic fashion, about how they're going to deepen the relationship with their customer from start, you know, in, in what we used to say in the financial services, cradle to grave, right? Mm -hmm. Can you speak to kind of the main points to break it down of the customer journey for, for, for people? So they're, they're saying, okay, it's everything from when they first hear about your company, whether they found it or you found them, whatever it is, through to as long as they're a customer, hopefully forever, right? Um, are, are there specific parts of that, that where, how it can be broken up? Yes, that's a great question. And I like to fall back on what I consider one of the fathers of modern marketing, Phil Kotler. And Phil Kotler said that the purpose of marketing and marketing's primary job is to find, keep, and grow the value of customers. And so if you take the customer journey, we can separate it into at least at a minimum, those three stages, find, keep, grow, right? That's so, uh, Co Phil Kotler. Is that Kotler Marketing out of Texas there? No, he's not in Texas. He's in, no? I, think, I think he's in Illinois. Oh, I think uh, there's a yes. company called Kotler Marketing in Texas. I always assumed it was the same, uh, same people. Well, it is Kotler Marketing. I don't know if he's in Texas, but hmm. Phil Kotler, and it is Kotler, Kotler Marketing, and uh, he's – I don't know how much writing he's doing anymore, but you know I've read everything he's ever written, and um, he wrote a book in 1999, I think, uh, Kotler on marketing or something like that. And he didn't really talk about the customer buying journey or the customer journey itself, but he did talk about this find, keep, and grow. And I think we can borrow the find, keep, and grow his thinking about that and overlay that on top of the customer journey and customer life cycle and say, okay, what is the journey that customers take as they move through each of those stages of find, keep, and grow? All right. So those, that's what you break it up into. That's to, to simplify it down. Three things, find, keep, grow. I, I would. I mean, if you want to be making the simplest terms as possible and not get too complex, that would be the yep. way I would probably start out. Uh, makes sense. So, Again, I want to cover as much as possible. Is there anywhere you'd like to start now that we've kind of defined the customer journey and broke it out into those parts? Find, keep, um, and grow. Can we start with find? find. <laughs> we can. And, but what I, would, I would like to add sort of a little disclaimer in here, and it's something that um, we experience a lot when we work with companies. So the company uh, the, that is selling, right, they have a process, an internal process, um, that may or may not match the customer journey, right? So let's, let's stick with the finding part because that's the acquisition part is always where everybody spends a lot of time. I do want to 
spend time on the other two, but to Carla's point about the fine. So you've got marketing and sales organizations inside a company and they've got processes. They're doing things to try and uh, generate demand. And what they end up oftentimes in trouble with is, is that that process is not matched to how the customer actually buys. And so right. they end up not be out of alignment with each other. So not only do you have to worry about the marketing and sales organizations being aligned to a process, but if you will align the marketing and sales process to the customer journey, it will probably be much smoother. And so when so you see, marketers should do some method acting kind of, and get themselves into their customer's shoes and, uh, and walk through each of these steps. I, I expect that if you have, um, somewhere where you're out of sync with how the customer is going to want to go through the journey that you're basically going to have points of failure where, where people are going to fall out of it. And that means not getting on to the um, keep and grow part. Right. And if you think about the acquisition part for a moment, kind of think of it like a courtship, right? You're, you have buyers and you're a seller and the seller is really courting the buyers because today the buyers are in control. They have a lot of choices. They are, uh, have a lot of access to information, um, a lot of communities that they participate in. And so really they're in control of the buyer. And so as a seller, you're, you're courting this buyer. And if you think about it as a courtship, one of the things that I find uh, and we experience when we work with companies is that they're moving or thinking that the relationship is moving faster than it actually is. Yeah. Right. Well, they're, they're optimistic, maybe. They, they're hoping it is, or they're just like, I spoke to them once, and now they can purchase, and uh, they're, everything's going to fit. Here you go. Yes. And um, so as people are thinking about this, as they're listening to us, they need to remember that some, it could be that the buyer is willing to, to move to the courtship very quickly. But in the B2B world, where there's a lot of variables oftentimes, um, it probably isn't going to be... Uh, 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 you know, a quick trip to Vegas, so to speak. Uh, right. It's going to be a much longer courtship. And just like in a, you know, in, in, and depending on what kind of experience the buyer has in that purchase. So if it's something that's new to them and, and they're young and new, so to speak, a young buyer or a, a new uh, solution that they're exploring that they don't have a lot of experience with, that's probably going to be a different kind of process where it's going to require a lot more handholding and a little a lot more courting than a very experienced uh, buyer, someone who's you know been down the road several times, so to speak, uh, around the block, have used these products before, have already done some kind of due diligence, and it's going through. They'll they'll be able to go a lot faster. Right. So you call just, those professional buyers. Yeah, just they just all they need to do is place an order. They know exactly what they want. Here's my order. Go go go. Yeah, and I'm not. I, and I'm using buyer loosely, so. Uh, I don't mean buyer as in the title so much as the right. per buyer as in the, the person or people and most often in B2B it's people who are going to be making the decision of over the product and that, or service that they're going to be purchasing in the fine stage versus the seller who would be the company and the, the seller could be all right. It doesn't necessarily only a salesperson because there's a variety of other people uh, like in a technology sale, you might have uh, a, a systems engineer or an application engineer, a marketing person. You said something interesting there. I mean, you're talking about having multiple buyers and that it's not 
that's not a title type. It's not, you're not just dealing with purchasing people, of course, in the purchasing department. It's whoever you sell to. And I've seen this come up in, in, our, in our business a couple of times recently when kind of consulting with people about data and pointing out to them that so the customer journey isn't necessarily here's one person and here's their pathway through, but it can involve many people within a company. And the starting point might not always be where people think it is. There's a lot of, and people have done it for, a, you know, this has been going on forever, but there's a lot of uh, identifying who your target audience is by looking at who you sell to and who your best customers are. And we've seen customers go awry with this because they'll say, here's who our contacts are at these companies. These are our best clients and here's the titles that we sell to. So we need more of these people. Um, and we tell them, wait, hold on. You know, if, if you're looking at the customer journey and you're starting with the person you ended with, you got to go back and look at who you started with. Because frequently you may end up having the contact that's the decision maker, but you went through a bunch of other people to get there. And when you tried to reach out to that guy right away, you never got a response because they're, they're busy. You have to escalate up through the chain and go through the process kind of. So I guess I'm saying is be careful when you're, when you're building, if you're going to build out a customer journey that you don't think of it as one person, like you were saying, when you mentioned multiple people, yes, it's, it's many people and the person you start with and the person you end with within the buying process are frequently different people. So the professional buyer might be the final person you end up with, but your starting point and the hoops you have to jump through to you know, get access to that person could be, could be very different than, you know, than the final person. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at, you know, technology manufacturing or, you know, even bioscience, the, the person using a product is probably not the person who ultimately will do the purchase order. There right. are going to be different people. And so anyway, it, there is complexity um, and there are very, you know, and the thing about most customer journeys, especially in the beginning, is that they're not linear. You know, it's not from point A to point B. They're more like loops. Um, and so you start off back to that investigation and you're thinking about the protocol. So, I, you know, here's kind of an example. And it's not a technology or, or example, but it's something that I think all your listeners could potentially uh, relate to. Um, I have an, a, a, a mother who is rather getting rather elderly, and uh, we're starting to have conversations about you know where she might want to reside over the next X number of years. And so we've been having a lot of conversations about what are her requirements and what does she want to do and where would she like to live. And she goes back and forth between our family home and a home uh, a, a, a home that she winters in that. They've, my father and her have got it like 20, 20 to five years ago. So she goes back and forth so she can avoid winter. And so we've been investigating what some of those options might be. All she's, a, she's a professional surfer on the endless summer circuit. That's what I think I heard. <laughs> yes, exactly. You got it. Right. So that's investigation. It's a loop. And we've been identifying and evaluating. And so she's been visiting with me and we went and looked at a couple of potential communities um, you know, senior communities, not, not like assisted living communities, but actual senior communities. Cause my mom is very with it and very active. Um, but you know, the idea of, of making your meals and going grocery shopping and doing all the heavy lifting every single day is a little wearing. And so something yeah. where you might have options, right? 
So that is a huge process and it's very investigative and there's a lot to identify. And then you go through this evaluation and selection, right? This is not a decision that's going to potentially be made. You walk into a place, you walk out and you sign on a dotted line. I'm not saying somebody hasn't done that, but it's not likely. And, and I think we're a good example of multiple people. I mean, it's not just my mother that's looking but she, I'm tagging along and I'm in asking questions. And then I have siblings and, and, and they're getting involved and engaged in the decision-making process, right? So this is just an example that probably your listeners have some exposure to that can show you how it can sort of end up in a loop. You go through these loops and go back and forth and before, long before you make a decision. And that's not uncommon in a typical B2B a buying process. And so, I would imagine the more agreed. expensive the product, the more complex the product, probably the more, the more people you have to loop around. So if you're trying to find one person to map out, you're going to kind of mess up the buying journey. And I guess you don't really own the buying journey that I guess the, the buying group does. And if That's you map right. it out wrong from them, like they're, they're going to follow a map. And if you can get it close to what, how they'd actually work, then you might make it through. But if you draw, like you said, this linear thing of talk to them, send them proposal, collect money, that's not going to happen for you because very few people have that journey. So would it be accurate to say they already have a journey? You just have to figure out what it is and map it? So thank you for bringing that up. So the idea of a map, right? This is really important. And yes, you do need to map it. And you, it, you can start with what you think it is. But you need to validate that, and you need to go get data to validate that. And there's various ways you can validate a journey. You can certainly use the data you've got right now as your starting point, but if you have a customer advisory board, or you can do some, some primary research, um, you can talk to existing customers and just do some individual interviews with them about what their journey was. There's all different ways you can do it, but you definitely want to go get real data and you want to validate the map. And here's the thing that's really important about this process. And there's two things that are important. One is what you want to be clear about when you're creating the map is what we call incremental behavioral commitments. What are the behaviors in the order in which they occur? And how do you know or what are you going to be, when you see them, what do you think is the next behavior that needs to occur in order to show that the customer is moving forward in their journey? So a lot of folks have very broad, broad journey maps, mm -hmm. and they haven't really thought about the incremental behaviors within each step that show forward movement. And this is really important because as you think about how you're going to engage with that buyer, you want to be clear in your mind what step or behavior they're at and what is the appropriate behavior. I'm going to give you an example in just a moment. Are we talking about like intent behavior here? For instance, really simple thing. You've talked to somebody, you have stuff going on, but they've never visited your website and maybe very few people that, that purchase your product never visit your website or something like that. Well, it would depend what those behaviors are. They might be, they come and they download something from the website. They might be engaged in a chat. It might be they ask for information. It might be they ask for a demo. It might be that they uh, ask for a sales uh, meeting. It might be that they ask for a technical design meeting or a needs assessment. Right. Or all of those as part of the mapping. That's right. right. Exactly. And you want to know what those are in the typical order in which they occur. So here's an example. We're working on buying um, a, a banner for an event, right? And we're working with a company to buy this banner. And 
we were having it designed. And we just started the conversation about with the designer when we got an email from the company asking us to evaluate our satisfaction with our banner. But we hadn't even yet designed it, right? It right. just got triggered. They hadn't even oh, been. Oh, yeah. Right? So this is a very this is an example of their process not mapping the customer journey. Well, yeah. no, when we're ready to evaluate the designer, the service, or the banner, or the company, we haven't even finished the design process. And then I guess on the opposite side of things, so they're jumping straight to the end just because there was a touch there. Yes. Uh, I was at a trade show recently. And I, I went up to talk to a company because I had contact with them already. It's a large company, but multiple divisions. And I was checking to see if any of my people were there, just stopping by to say hi. And then I get followed up with after the trade show from an account manager looking to get me, you know, going with them, looking to pitch me their products. Hey, you're at the trade show. We'd like to. And I thought I should already be in your system. Like you're looping me all the way back to the beginning of the process. That's just kind of going to annoy me um, more, more than anything. Uh, so I guess jumping forward or jumping back without any, any reasoning kind of can, can be damaging. Yeah. And this goes back to, that's a really good point, Skype. This goes back to what your data and, you know, so people will say, Oh, everybody that goes to the event is going to get X content. Right. But if you've done your homework and you've looked at your database, you can say, Oh, we've already had contact with this person in these touches. So they're probably in a different stage. And here's a good example. We had this occur very recently with someone who came to our, who filled out a, a form on our site. So we are, we're smaller than some, but we, we do as much as possible to drink our own champagne. And so someone came to the site just today and downloaded something. Well, I happen to pay attention to the data and so do my people and someone said, this person has come to the site and has been downloading data for nine years. And we have been responsive to them <laughs> for nine years, right? Nine years, guys, yep. right? And so I finally just said to this person, I'm glad that you have found our data, our, our content helpful for nine years. Wow, that's a long time. How could we move our conversation from you downloading content and us just sending you an email to something with a little more proximity? How do you feel about Zoom? You know, so right. trying to move the relationship, but it, that's really paying attention to where they are in their journey. And I guess one of the things that helps with that account-based marketing now is, is good in this respect. It helps, I think, with these types of journey issues because the way CRMs used to be set up when a lead comes in, it was only at the lead level and somebody would follow up with it and it was disconnected from, from any other contacts at the company, from any other... So I guess I'd say it's important that when people have leads coming in, that those get routed in an account-based model so that if somebody's working with an account already, they know what's going on because we see all the time an account manager will be working with an account. Somebody will come on the site, do some activity, request a sample or something like that. And if we route that to a new rep that doesn't know that, hey, this is somebody that, that just called in or this is somebody they're working with and they just went to the site for convenience, it, you know, we shouldn't start at, at, at zero with them again. Making sure that that gets routed to the proper place, I guess, in, in the automation and getting your MarTech set up properly so that that part of the journey doesn't throw things out of whack. Now that we can sense, you know, we can see these people coming in and poking and filling out forms and all this stuff. You, you can't just 
really start from zero in the journey every time having that that map out and then plugging them into the right spot with the right people in your organization you're right really Stein. You're, you're really bringing up this the concept of process and i think this is a really good place to have this conversation so a lot of people do rely on their technology and uh, if you haven't defined your opportunity management process well, then you'll be automating a bad process. So it's important to step back and say, okay, so we get an opportunity identified, whatever that opportunity might look like. What are the various channels or, or uh, routes that, we could, that that opportunity could take? One, it's a new opportunity. So how do we set up in the process, we verify whether or not this is new or repeating opportunity, you know, an existing opportunity that's in the system or a brand new? Are they connected to an account we're working with, a company that we already do business with, and they're new to, new to, new to us because of that? Or it's a brand new account, right? You have to have this sort of in your process, defining your opportunity management process that's mapped to the customer journey. So that might be one route. Another route might be, oh, we know these people. They're not new. Uh, they are in an account that we are strategically handling so it gets routed to where that that goes right versus oh this is an opportunity but it's really not ready to be routed anywhere therefore it needs to go into a nurture program so it's important to have that those process very clearly defined and what the rules are the criteria are for each one and then using your analytics using your data using your tools to facilitate that process and make it easier. But if you haven't defined that in the beginning, those processes in the beginning, then you end up, everyone that's going through sort of gets treated the same way. And that would be wrong. So strategic account right. management would be different than something else. So yeah, if they're at a place in the journey already, make sure that you're you're not disassociating them from that. I want to take a really quick break here. Uh, this is just flying by, Laura. Um, we got to fit so much stuff in here, but I want to take a real quick break, and then we'll get back to this, get some do's and don'ts for people after the break. You are listening to the If You Market podcast. We've got Laura Patterson of Vision Edge Marketing on with us today talking about the customer journey, and we'll be right back. Funbox is a machine learning powered B2B credit platform. Funbox is partnered with some of the best known brands in B2B, including Intuit, FreshBooks, Xero, Eventbrite, Synchrony Financial, and others. Whether you're looking for a business line of credit or to offer your buyers access to net terms, Funbox has the right solution to help your business grow. To learn more about Funbox, please visit our website at fundbox.com. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. We're speaking with Laura Patterson of Vision Edge Marketing about the customer journey. And I have a little note here uh, that says about having the adult conversation when it comes to the customer journey. Laura, I want to get into kind of some, some concrete stuff that people can do when it comes to a customer journey and then stuff that people should, should look to avoid. Like how can people implement the concept of a customer journey in their business and, and start seeing some, some positive results from it right away? That's a great um, question. And so I think some do's and don'ts are really helpful in this part of the conversation. So I'm going to kind of combine them. Perfect. One do is do, have a, do map the customer journey, but don't assume that that customer journey is applicable to all your verticals or all your markets. Correct. You, may need, you may need more than one customer journey map, different 
verticals or different personas may need to have a different journey. Different so products. In a and, stuff, right? and also, it's sometimes the size of the company, which would make even, you know, you could have version A and version B of one of those journeys. There could be any number of different reasons why you would need multiple journeys. The point I want to make is that don't assume one journey applies to all your customers. Right. That, or it will but, apply to all your customers. It's just those are the only customers you'll get because you've got the map wrong for everybody else. Okay. That's another way to say it. The point, yes. We're, I think we're all trying to have one journey, those are the only people you're going to get. Um, if you True. want everyone else, you got to have uh, journeys that match them kind of. Right. The second is do your homework to figure out what the customer journey is. Don't assume that the, what, what the journey is, right? So do your homework. And that will mean some research, whether that is talking to existing customers. How did you go about making a decision to buy our product? What were all the various steps you did? Whether that is working with a customer advisory board, whatever that might be. And then looking at your own data, looking at your Google Analytics or what other tools you might use to see what, how people have moved, looking at your contact forms, your downloads, all different kinds of things like that to try to augment as much of it as you can. So I think that's important. The next do and don't. Don't build your internal processes until you know the customer journey and have uh, mapped it. Yeah, you're wasting right? a lot of time and effort building stuff and finding out it's wrong. Right. Be right, because if you build it and then you try to automate that and then you try to retrofit that, that's really going to be painful. So, so you're so saying the, the concept of if you build it, they will come is wrong? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I, I, no, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> well, it is until you market the shit. I think that, that applies here as well, yeah. Even if you, if you build it and market the shit out of it and you built it wrong, it still doesn't work. You have to build it right and market it. So do some research. I guess we're going to have to change the name of the podcast to do some research, then build it to fit their needs, then market the shit out of it. Right. Okay. The next thing is don't... You need to be clear in your mind, not only what the behaviors are that you're looking for, but who really you want to do business with. Um, you know, that's according you. There may be some buyers out there that are interested in you, but are not a good fit for you or your company. And so be clear in your mind before you start. What is the customer? What kind of customers you want to have so that you are mapping the customer buying journey for those kinds of customers? Not just anybody, but for the customers you want to have. I so I think I have an example that would fit to this. Uh, to, to cut me off if I'm getting off track with what you meant here. But I receive emails from people all the time. I, I glance at them if there's somebody I don't recognize. And if I can't tell from the first sentence that there's something of interest there, if there's a lot of lead in and they're trying to you know, line me up with a story and then get to the point, I'm never making it to the point. Uh, if I see a large block, even one large paragraph of text, and I don't know who the person is, I'm moving on. That's too much of a commitment for me for a cold person, you know, for a, somebody, somebody I don't know. So if, if it's something relevant to me and I can tell immediately, if somebody sends me an email and says, hey, I'd like to be on your podcast, great. If they have a paragraph about their life story first and then they're saying, and that's why, never going to happen. So I think, yeah, different people, it could be as much as just they're busy. And if you don't present it in the right way, it's not going to even get looked at. Um, I know we see sometimes with proposals, it's a point in the buying or in this customer journey where you can send somebody a PDF and say, sign this and send it back. And you don't hear back and you're wondering why. And it turns out if you send them a sign now, it would be done immediately, but they don't have a printer in their office or they don't 
know how to scan and send something back so it doesn't happen. And I, you know, back in the day before we started using digital science stuff, some of our guys would say, but it's really, why don't they just do it? I said, it doesn't matter. Why don't they, if they don't do it, it doesn't matter. Like you have to remove that step or simplify that step or, and that was a, you know, an instance of us trying to fit them to our mapping of, we send them a PDF, they print it out, sign it, scan it and send it back or mail, you know, whatever it is and says, no, that's not the way certain people want to work. So they just end up not working with you because, you know, we had them, we had, we're trying to fit them to a process that was outside what they were willing to do, whether we thought it was simple or not. Right. So I think what you're talking about, there's a bunch of things you just covered, Sky. We'll, kind of, we'll, we'll unpack them in a moment. The fit I'm talking about is make sure it's the kind of customer. So are they, do, are they the right size company? Are they, do they have the right kind of problem that you solve? Are they the, uh, in the industry that you want to grow? Those kinds of questions. Ah, uh, got it. Right. Sorry. So, so but. Uh, what you were saying is also ethical. So that, let's go to that next do and don't. So don't just throw out content. You want the, you need to be clear about what, what are the channels that, and touches that are most relevant and compelling in the journey. So in the beginning, maybe it is a PDF of some kind that's delivered by an email or something they download from your website. You need to know what it, that is. Maybe later on, it's a video. You need to know what that is. Is it a, maybe it's a video uh, demo so they can actually see the product being used. That may be something somewhere else in the journey. So what is the touch and in what channel do they want it in that's relevant to them, that will work for them? And as you get deeper into the relationship that you're talking about is how do they want to handle, you know, the, um, the selection, decision, purchasing stages. To your point, some people are willing to do that electronically. Others, you know, still want to send documents back and forth through FedEx, whatever that is. Again, you want to understand the journey right. as, it, as it matters to, the, to that segment or to that persona. So if you're working with a certain kind of persona, and I don't mean a profile, I mean an actual persona, you know, there are going to be certain people out there that are, very, maybe maybe a persona is the traditionalist, and they are going to want things done in a particular way. And the another uh, group of another persona might be, you know, the uh, innovators, and they always have the leading edge of stuff and trying to do something cool and different. So in your own mind, find out what those are and make sure you are matching your content, your touches, and your ch and the channels to those personas. Right. So did the, really quick, you mentioned profile and persona. I want to clarify that for people that the, the title is not a persona, right? The right. persona is more the personality. Um, the I have down here, three main personas, value creators, campaign producers, and sales enablers. Yeah. Those um, came, those came from uh, personas we've made of marketing organizations, but here's a really simple example. Think of, uh, of chief financial officers, because most people are familiar with the, the title CFO. But, in, but there are different kinds of CFOs. There mm -hmm. are CFOs, back to this notion that are uh, the traditionalists or very much about the financial aspects. It's all about that. Right. You know, so the, the title CFO in, in the industry they're in, maybe company size, that's the profile, right? Uh, yes, that would be the profile. And the persona might be the traditionalist. And the, another persona might be the visionary. There are some CFOs out there who see themselves see their role as 
being kind of lieutenants to the CEO in terms of strategy and where the company is going in the future and building the vision, right? That would be a very different kind of CFO. They both have CFO titles. They both could be, you know, in the same uh, genre with the same kind of education, uh, many the same kind of income, all kinds of things you might put in a profile, but their personas would be very different. Right, right. Okay. So, the, so back to do's and don'ts. So I think we've covered a few do's and don'ts. And uh, so, uh, do have a customer journey. Don't make one. Don't assume that the that one customer journey will match all your potential customers, unless you're a small company and there is only one set of customers. I guess again, it will match all your customers. It's just the more different types of customers you want to have, the more different journeys you need to have. Otherwise, you're restricting yourself only to those that you have the the journey for. Yes, yes, that's that's right. Um, do have the mapping done before you do your internal processes. Do make your content, your touches, and your channels map to the to the journey, right? So be clear in your mind. Uh, assume that they are going slower than you are going. So that's a right. really important part of this. It's a great assumption. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just assume that they are going slower than you are going. For all areas in life, you can assume people are going slower than you are and, and you'll be safe. Well, maybe, but uh, except when you're doing, like, you know, competing in a triathlon or something, you want to assume <laughs> <more faster. laughs> but, Good call. But the point, the point I was just trying to make is that um, we often see that companies think that the, buy, the, the, the customer is further along in the buying journey than they typically are. And that's why the customer starts seeing touches and behavior that are much more like they're ready, you know, that from the seller saying, let's, let's close, let's close, let's close. But the buyer is still in, you know, evaluation stage and they're not anywhere near selection stage. Right. Or I suppose right. in your journey, even if you, um, if you have it mapped out and you think this person's a lead and you pass it off to sales, but they're not yet, then you're getting them out, out of the mapping a little bit and there's, there's going to be some friction there where sales is pursuing them and they're just, they're not even ready for that. Which, um, which takes us to the next do's. Do you have an opportunity management process? Be clear in your mind, what are all the different sort of buckets these opportunities could fall in? And then how will those be, what is the disposition process for each of those? Have that decided in advance. So that's another do. Right. So that's right. very important. Uh, do you think of the journey beyond the acquisition? Think about the, the keep and grow. What does that look like? How do you continue that conversation? So uh, where does sales, where does customer support, uh, customer success, marketing fit in keep and grow? And what do those what does that journey look like? What are those inter behavioral interactions look like? What do your what are your touches? What are your. Uh, what's your content like in those phases? We have a tendency to think a lot about the front end and less about the back end. And it's very important to remember to think about the back end. Yeah, I'd assume most, most businesses get more income from a client after the initial purchase. Um, so if you're not really helping nurture that and then the cost of acquisition has already happened, you're, you're really wasting a lot. And I would point out to make sure that this is one of those critical areas where sales and marketing have to communicate because if marketing is going to continue to help nurture an existing client, um, you can cause a lot of problems if, if you don't map that out properly. One of the things that 
that we do here is we have a, and I'm sure many companies do it, but uh, we have a status in our system uh, for the salesperson, but the marketing team has their own status as well. And that allows the salespeople to actually turn marketing off in certain ways without turning off an account to say, you know what, don't email this person, but that's a message just for marketing. It's that marketing status for them being able to, to tell marketing, like just stay away or to tell marketing, send them newsletters or put them into this uh, cycle or that cycle or wh whatever it is. Having that kind of integration between the sales and the marketing, I, I think would really help in that, uh, in that mapping rather than kind of a linear setup with either we're, we're in touch with them or not kind of a thing. Yeah, that's back to the opportunity management process. Exactly. And the, and the way to think about this is don't spend so much time trying to get people to accept the ring, so to speak, and get to the altar and have the wedding and forget that you have an, a marriage that comes after that. And so I think that's the part that's really important to remember. Um, so those are some do's and don'ts. And I know we're pumping up against the end of our time. So before we wrap up, did, what other things did you want to make sure we, we touch on? So we got some great do's and don'ts for people. I suppose also, uh, you know, just we'll put out your information, your contact info at the end. If people want more information on um, on the the customer journeys, they can uh, they can always reach out to Vision Edge Marketing and, and to Laura. Let me see, Carla Joe, do you have anything else you want to throw in here before before we move on to the end? Um. So I, my, my three takeaways are, you know, mapping the customer acquisition when you're finding them, right? You want to map out how to find them, proficiency at moving them through, right? And then, then the, the final thing is keeping them. That's the and growing them, growing them, growing them. Got it. Yes. Find, keep and grow. Got it. And the growing can not, can be footprint expansion, not just, you know, growing, uh, that particular, because in the B2B world, it might not just be in particular selling more products or selling more products to that group. It might be ex actually footprint expansion inside that account. Right. So Laura, I've got one last question here submitted from, uh, from a listener online, actually. They, they want to know about customer journeys, how to handle when a, somebody's coming back into the customer journey that hasn't been there for a long time, that hasn't been, you know, they've had touch with in the past, but, uh, and I'm kind of uh, summarizing their question here, but, but they haven't had touch with in a long time. How, how do they handle that situation? Okay, so that's an interesting question. So the fact that you, we, you may not have been in contact with them for a long time, it could be a number of things. It could have been, let's go back to this example with my mom. She, maybe she was doing some thinking about what she wanted to do, but she just hadn't come to a conclusion about what was right for her. So she went dark in her journey with you didn't mean she isn't still thinking about it. It's just either got lower on a priority list, perhaps or some other priority emerged or a health issue came up. Who knows what it might be in my mother's case, right? So in, in, same with your buyer. Um, so when they reemerge and they've, they've come back into the process, they, they probably have been thinking along the lines of what you want to find out from them is you don't want to treat them like they're brand new. You want to say, oh, we're really glad to see you. Tell me where you are in your journey, right? Tell me right. where you are in the process. So basically you... ask them at that point because they might yes. have oh. been in the proposal phase two years ago and now they come back. You don't want to just resend them the same proposal. Right. Say, well, tell me what's been going, you know, this is, the customer journey isn't going to replace engaging in conversation, right? What you want to be able to say is, oh, I'm so glad to see you. It's just like you'd be an old friend. What's been happening with you? What's changed? And you know, we're glad to have you back. 
how can where where should we take the conversation now? Right, and I right. guess it's highly likely you need to step back a couple steps from wherever you were at, at at least if it's been a while, probably more back the longer it's been. Well, yeah. Again, if you sent a proposal two years ago, odds are what they're you know what you offer today and what they need today has already moved because we live in a dynamic world. Yeah, and if you're looking at the contact, they might not even be at the same company anymore. <laughs> right, and that's true. They may be back. In fact, that may be one reason they went dark. They decided they weren't staying at that company. They decided to move on. They come back to it in a new company, but they didn't forget about the fact that this is a solution that might work for them. And so they came back into the process. So it's really just important to engage in the conversation instead of treating them like, oh, never saw you before. Don't know who you are. Yeah. Or the takeaway for them is, is definitely don't pick up right where you left off. Don't pick up right where you left off and also don't assume they're right. Uh, don't, don't act like you don't know who they are. Right, right. Find that sweet spot in the middle, the Goldilocks zone for uh, customer journey reentry there. Okay, excellent. Laura, this has been fantastic. Uh, again, it's Laura Patterson of Vision Edge Marketing on with us today talking about the customer journey. You can find Laura on visionedgemarketing.com, also at Twitter, at Laura VEM and then LinkedIn, Laura Patterson, VEM. Okay, perfect. Or again, just put in the name, you'll find her. Anything else you want to put out for people to be able to find you, Laura? Uh, just give, everyone's always welcome to the website, visionedgemarketing.com. And we have a lot of information about customer journey mapping, customer engagement, customer experience. I think they'll find helpful. And, you know, if they have any other questions, we'd love to hear from them, whatever channel works for them. So uh, on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Laura Patterson of Vision Edge Marketing, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with a customer journey, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.